Coming up, guests just don't get much bigger than the man I welcome to the podcast today. That's right, we've got the 16-time world champion and true icon of this industry, John Cena. After the bell starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and man, oh man, I don't know that I've ever been as excited for an episode as I am this week. We've been sitting on this audio footage for uh, several weeks, actually since Boston, the night that John Cena returned to Friday Night SmackDown. John was gracious enough to grant me a nice chunk out of his day to sit down and talk the state of sports entertainment, WWE, and the fan in me is stoked. The WWE announcer in me is excited. The former wrestler in me wishes I would have heard all of this wisdom 10 years ago. Uh, Sit down, buckle yourself in. There is nothing I can say that will make this any better than listening to the GOAT himself, ladies and gentlemen, John Cena. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, I'm good. It is uh, a pleasure to have you on my podcast. I appreciate your time as you are now a very, very busy man. Not that you haven't always been. No, that's something that I like being busy. So we're and we're all busy. Everybody's like, ah, oh, man, you're so busy. We're all all of us are busy. All of us. If you're if you're in this industry, and you know what? Uh, generally in life, people keep busy. There's a lot of stuff to do out there. Henry Rollins once said, "There's no such thing as free time, only time." Hmm. And uh, that's well said. Believe in maximizing it. I, yeah. I agree with you. Um, so it is WrestleMania season. It is, and it uh, feels natural that John Cena is a part of WrestleMania. Well, that's fun. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate I, that. I, I'll say it. I'll go on the record and say it. I have to ask you, after all these years, you've accomplished basically everything there is to accomplish in the sports entertainment industry. You've headlined countless WrestleManias. What keeps bringing you back? Well, I think that's a... So that's one way of looking at it. Uh, Like an an individual standpoint of like, what can I do in this thing? And that's how most people look at it. Like, well, I've won every championship. I've been at the top. Like... What else is there for me to do? Um, If you look at the stuff that I've done, especially WrestleMania specific for the past few years, uh, show up to rap, be a fan. Like, um, I I, I like the stories, man. Like, I don't know what is going to go on, but I'm ready for them to, like, hand me a piece of paper and me to look at it and be like, time to make it great. (laughs) And I think that's what keeps me coming back. I, I enjoy it, and it's not a... I don't have a bucket list of things to do. I think if, and maybe some folks out there should listen to this, if you just consistently entertain a mass of people, the bucket list melts away really fast. And you can take any situation and make it something special. And I mean, that's that's kind of the approach I've taken to my entire career. There's there's a lot of perception that like, wow, you've kind of always just been the champ no i've been (laughs) nothing i've been almost fired i've had a good run i've been worked with new talent i I tell vince all the time i've been first i've been last i've been in the middle tell me where to go tell me what you're looking for and then go let me do do my thing and and that's kind of how i look at it is there any sort of transition now that you're spending a lot more time away from wwe now that you're you're finding your way back you're going to be a big part of wrestlemania you spend a lot of time in hollywood is there do you kind of have to like wind yourself up or is it like easy to sort of fall back into it no this is a place where i feel the most comfortable this is still home uh you know you never get it out of your system and because it's such a uh entertainment medium that's like all over culture you can't 
avoid it on social media. Like I'm always in tune to it. I kind of always know what's going on. Um, no, I just, I don't, I don't think you lose it, man. I, I just don't. I think, um, my, my biggest fear, and I've stressed this in, in multiple interviews is the fact that I am a little older and I know for a fact I'm a little slower and that's not because I'm putting in less work. It's just because I'm older. You're a human being. <laughs> yeah. So, and especially with the, the performers nowadays getting faster and more surgical, like I'm aware of all it. I would be ignorant to not be aware of all that. So I guess I'm just trying to do the best I can with, um, taking stock of my assets and where I am and, and not wanting to jip the customer. Is it more noticeable to you now having sort of stepped outside of the WWE bubble? You've been here since the, the, the ruthless aggression era. Now it's, it's been coined an era, yeah, which is kind of a new thing. But the documentary is pretty good. Yeah, I've started watching it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And when you look back on that, obviously the business has changed. Is it something you're more aware of now? that you, you've taken a step back and look at the, the grand scheme or is it something that you noticed as, as your career progressed? No, I think that's part of the driving force that kept me and keeps me passionate for so long. I like, I welcome the changes. I love the changes. Like I was at the change of the attitude era to the real guy era, which is called the ruthless aggression era where right. everybody's the real guy to, to like, <laughs> not, not quite as catchy to like the PG era and to like the anti-hero era, which I kind of, birthed of like, wow, I've just seen it change so much. I, I love that stuff. I, I, it was, it's really cool to be able to like be in the change, but it's also equally as cool to sit outside and be like, yeah, this is what's happening. I wonder what's going to happen next. So I, I never feel distant. I always like looking at the business like that, like in a larger than self perspective. I like looking at it as the business. I don't think enough people do that. I think they look at it as like, what can this vehicle do for me? And how can I operate now to push forward and be awesome rather than this is what's going on. Wow. I should use this, this, and this to cater to what's going on right now. You know, when you look at the landscape now, it's kind of hard to define maybe 10, 15 years down the road, we can say this is the so-and-so era. There was the attitude era, the ruthless aggression, real guy era. Uh, In your opinion, watching from outside the box, what does this current, landscape need to sort of define itself it, it needs what i what i'm not sure it can produce and that's a that's like a just the state of where everything is now I, which is weird because it kind of always corrects itself so we're in a, a day and age where i it needs a front man or, or woman and that's what will be able to define what the era is because it, t- it takes on those personality traits of its top star. And I, like I've said it before, I, I don't know if all things considered, the crowd is so mixed that if the company puts its faith behind an individual, the knee jerk reaction of the audience, even if they liked the guy last week is to say, F- you, right. you're not going to tell me who I like. Right. So the audience is also tipping the scales of this not being able to happen. Like there's universal popularity will never happen because someone will see it and get onto it and be like, he seems to be getting popular. Let's stop this right now. Or she seems to be getting popular. Let's change this right now. And I've seen it happen with guys who are really like darlings of that underground crew make it. And then as soon as they make it, the rugs pulled out from under. It almost seems to become the norm these days. I mean, you look like a Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins was the indie darling. He, yeah. he against all odds, made it to the top of the card, makes, wins the title. And all of a sudden everyone kind of, cause now we don't want him anymore. That's not our guy. I mean, you, you experienced it firsthand. You kind of were the blueprint for it. <laughs> so it's, uh, 
it's difficult because you can't, it's like, like I said, it's like a super friends because the audience is so segmented. Some people will embrace that underground dude. Some people will embrace the top person. Some people will embrace the mid card. Some people will embrace the cruiserweights. Uh, and then there's the split between like, I like SmackDown. I like raw. I like NXT. Um, it's just really difficult to get one definable figure to stand at the front and be like, okay, let's, let's go. I mean, there are, I don't know. I, so I don't know. Like that's where the business is. And usually if it pushes too far in one way, the pendulum finds a way to come back. But I really don't know because the program is so socially active and your social emotions are not what they are in the arena. I, I know that firsthand, dude, when you're at the edge of your seat and you're lost in, in a championship fight and, and, and something happens and you think maybe a title's going to switch and it doesn't, you stand in, and you catch yourself going, no. Nah, and then you tweet like, ah, oh, it, it was BS or whatever. Like right. your, your keyboard emotions aren't necessarily the same as watching it live, but the keyboard sentiment and the social sentiment, which I love because it is driving our business forward and, and certainly extending its reach throughout the world, often can, can cause that chain reaction of like, hey, now we're not gonna like this guy, right us? And then everybody's like, yeah, and then that, and then <laughs> and that person isn't not liked. Yeah, is right. not liked. And it's funny though, I mean, I, I noticed it being able to call your matches and being in the arena and obviously the John Cena sucks, let's go Cena, it's split. And if you read the internet, 99% of them say you're the worst of all time, despite, sure. you know, but at the end of the match, to your point, everybody's on their feet. There everybody's comes reacting. a time in every one of those contests, in every one, where that melds to the wayside and then interest sets in. And that's when people are like, man, that, okay, I'm watching something, because I've, I've let this guy know that I don't like him. And I've let the person next to me who likes him know that I don't like him either. And they said, I like him. So I got somebody who likes John, I don't like John. We both expressed our opinion, now let's see what's going on. And I don't know, right now there is no, you know, maybe Roman is, is flirting with that territory, but it's not like, actually Roman does an extremely good job at it. Um, but like that's, we need, like we just need something like that, like a front man to just push forward and that's where the era will get defined. That makes sense. I had Roman on the podcast and he actually credited you. He with spoke sort of, very well. I thought it was awesome. I texted him right afterwards. He was amazing. And, he gave and you were amazing, by oh, the way. Thank you. Thank you. I have my moments. <laughs> Once the caffeine kicks in. Um, but yeah, so he, he credited you to sort of changing the, the groundwork for what it meant to be a, a top guy in WWE and because of your longevity. And you were a day in, day out, constantly grinding and, and really defines your place in history. What do you credit that to? That it's not a grind. Like, um, that's just all bull****. It's not, it's not, it's, man, life isn't easy in general. You know, no matter how fortunate or unfortunate we are, life has its ups and downs. Like, I play dress up. Right. That's it. And the, the, the work I have to do to play dress up is travel a lot. And I have to give up certain sacrifices of what has been dictated as a normal life. But everybody consistently, the question I hear the most is like, how did you do it all? How do you continue to do it all? I only do things that I dig. And I just really dig WWE. Like, all of it. From the second I got here, doing an interview with Fox, and then doing another thing for Backstage, and then wanting to meet you in person, and have an interview with you in person, and not on the phone, uh, and then going to sign a bunch of stuff, and then going to do three Make-A-Wishes, and then finally at six o'clock or eight o'clock, get, get the, the piece of business that I'm supposed to do, and by 10 o'clock, have it. And I'm not, like my brain isn't exploding because I chose to do all those things. What people don't understand they consistently harp about the schedule of the WWE. The WWE is more 
aware of its schedule and asks of the talent than ever before. And talent can take as much time off as they want, but there's the intrinsic battle of us of like, well, I don't want to lose relevancy. I would like to make a good living out of this. Like, so it's the push pull. And my thing is when people get in a place where they complain about the schedule and the grind, just don't do it. Sure. Just don't do it. And I really, I really can never remember a distinctive bad day at work. I can remember tons of bad matches. I can remember getting booed. I can remember crickets. I can remember missing my mark, not telling a good story, but I honestly cannot remember a, a bad day at work. And I think, and that's pushing me forward in, in, uh, in film and in other ventures that I'm doing. I only will sign up to stuff that I enjoy. So I have very few bad days at the office. So was the, the, the Hollywood thing, was that something you aspired to do for a long period of time or you just kind of slowly transitioned into it? That would be like, a general interviewer saying, so the wrestling thing, is that something you aspire to do for a long time? <laughs> no, none of this. Like, this is all just bonus. Like, I, somebody was foolish enough to hand me a lottery ticket, and I was <laughs> smart enough to take it. Um, I could never have told you, like, yeah, you know what? I want to be in film, especially after I tried it early on in my career and bombed enough times where literally in 2008, uh, my very close friend, Dan Bame, who was also my agent, I literally looked at him and be like, hey, man, we're never doing movies again, huh? And this is my agent. The guy's supposed to, he's like, no, we're not. We're just going to have to find other stuff. We're just going to have to, we'll start, we'll do the news or we'll do, and that's when we kind of shifted into pivoting into trying to host. And uh, I discussed like, what is it that I like? Because this, this is a time sensitive profession. Mm -hmm. So I like a live audience. I like to be able to entertain. I like to talk. So we came up with stuff like that. And through those opportunities, small parts came up in the movies. And now after, Trainwreck was, I think, 2013. So like seven years of trying. Now some some bigger parts are coming after seven years. Right. And I think that's a lot of a lot of um, superstars understand that struggle, especially superstars who worked in the independent circuit. Everybody just sees them show up on NXT and maybe get like a wonderful ovation. Like, man, you made it. And everybody's like, yeah, but you don't know about all the other right, ones where right. I was, you know, driving in my car and splitting trans four ways and mm -hmm. staying in a motel by the hour like that. That's a real thing. So uh, I never thought I would be doing any of this. And I guess that's also a reason why I don't ever think it's like a grind. Because I never thought I would be doing any of it. And trust me, it's not like I go through every day being like, this is awesome. <laughs> I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Sometimes I'm grumpy. Sometimes I'm stern. Sometimes I'm short. But I always try to police myself and catch myself and let everybody know that, like, I just didn't get enough sleep last night. I'm so sorry. Because... This is, this is a really cool thing, man. And what you do can literally affect the trajectory of somebody's life. Austin Theory said in, uh, in an interview like the other day, like, John Cena is kind of the reason I got into wrestling. Like, how cool is that? Right. To, to have somebody say like, hey, man, you were kind of the reason I got in the game. Like, wow, that's super special. Thank you very much. I actually kind of have a funny now personal story. I was uh, on the independence and I would get booked as an extra as we, you know, we often did. And I was in Chicago. It was the first time I'd ever encountered you. And I believe it was from afar. We were in catering and we made eye contact very briefly. And there was really nothing, nothing said or exchanged. Cause again, it was from a distance. And then uh, Colt Cabana was with me and he goes, what did you do to Cena? And I go, I don't know, man, I got that stare. And he goes, Cena hates you. 
and it became this ongoing rib. And, and I feel like it, it was one of those things I expected. It was in my head. So from then on, anytime I saw you, even years down the road, I'm like, I don't know what I did to this guy. This guy hates me. Meanwhile, you have no idea who I even am. But Cabana ribbed me for years about that. And it became the John Cena death stare, um, which obviously then when I made it to which SCW. Looks just like this. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was slightly less charming. But uh, but yeah, then I got to FCW and that's when we encountered each other I think it, at Rob's at, at, yeah. at, at the gym. And then it was kind of like, oh, okay, John's not such a bad guy. But I always carried that with me for a long time. It just made me laugh. It la I can laugh about it now. But yeah, the John Cena death stare was a real thing. Well, I apologize. And, <laughs> that's and not why I brought you here. Shame on you, Cole Cabana, for ribbing somebody on their insecurities. It's not cool. <laughs> totally not cool. So back to the film thing, what, what are some of the things that WWE and the life that we lead kind of prepared you for the, the, the movie world? Everything. Yeah. There's not a thing that I haven't been prepared for. Like every day, more and more, I look at what's in front of me as far as the day's work, how the business is run. And I realize like, this is just like WWE. It's a little different in the fact that there's no live audience. Uh, they don't run from city to city as fast. Uh, they don't set up and, and break down as quickly, but there's it, the setups are a lot more intricate. Everything is a lot more planned out. Like they have their differences, but when you strip it down, it's all storytelling. And uh, a, you know, a, a lot of folks will say a key to acting on film is simply being present. When you talk to anybody who's worked with me, it's like, all right, we have 26 minutes, and uh, the, the kid's gonna go over. Okay, thanks. Hey, John, what do you want to do? I don't know. We'll just figure it out. We'll just figure it out. <laughs> and they, uh, so many people that I'm able to perform with on the, like the, for the first time, take that as apathy, that I don't care. But then when I'm out there, I'm notoriously the loudest talker in the business. Right. I'm calling matches for you at the table in the <laughs> ring. But that's only because I'm, it, like, I'm super hyper present because I'm there to entertain everybody who paid money. And if I plan a labyrinth of execution with you in the back and we go out to crickets, we got to be able to switch. So I kind of know myself and I also know the skills of the person that I'm working with. And it's, I think the the absolute finite definition of a professional sports entertainer is the ability to play jazz, go out and absolutely improvise and ride the wave of the crowd that's in front of you. They will tell you what they want. And you just have to give it to them in a timely fashion. You can't miss those moments. You have to be razor sharp, which is why I'd rather be heard saying, hit me <laughs> than saying nothing and have crickets. So I, I'm well aware of my perception. I totally understand that. I bear that burden. But the, the gift or, or the, the quality that I can give for the first six rows kind of being in on the gag, which is actually a cool experience for the first six rows. It's like you get an experience that nobody else gets. Maybe 12 rows, maybe 22 <laughs> rows. It's fine. Second mezzanine. All of A-118. Yeah, second, that's fine. <laughs> but um, the trade-off is exact improv that my opponent doesn't know what's going to go on, the audience doesn't know what's going to go on, and I don't know what's going to go on. So we have no other choice but to be there, right there, right as it happens, right, what, right what's like... There's no, there's no other thing that, that can go. Like, that's it. And no one knows, and they're not planning on what's next. They're not thinking about what to do. Like, that's it. 
Was there like an aha moment in your career that you learned that or decided to? I learned to? it from all of the guys that I had the luxury, the, the Attitude Era veterans who were kind enough to work with me, from Booker T to Rikishi, Eddie, John, Kurt, Hunter, Sean, Rick. You listen to these names, and it's guys who have like really made it in the business. Right. <laughs> and they all used to work, all of them used to work like that. And I think they used to kind of do it as a rib on the new guys, uh, like I remember the first time Eddie was like, okay, it's just me and you tonight. I'll see you out there. It was uh, an outdoor tennis court in South Africa. And we went 25 minutes and it was awesome. And, and he was kind enough at the, at, after the match, I'd be like, Eddie, I heard this out there. Why did you tell me to do that? And that's when his face lights up and be like, okay, now I get to tell you some of the secrets. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is why I did this. Did you hear when they were like this? And I said this and then said, shut up, don't do anything. That's because we missed it. It was too late. So like, that's how I learned to wrestle. I learned technically to wrestle in OBW from, from Danny and Nick and, and Rob and those guys. And uh, Cornette helped me study the, the skeleton of the business. I learned how to improvise. I learned how to play jazz from the wrestling version of Miles Davis. Like <laughs> it, the, the coolest dudes ever. And they would go out there like with a 52 heart rate and just own it and just be their character and look around and be present and entertain and, and, and various forms of jazz improvisers. A guy like Rikishi performs different than Eddie, mm -hmm. you know, a guy like Kurt will perform different than Booker. So I got every version of that. Right. And those guys all moved on at the same time. So to get that sort of jazz class, I'm the only cat you could go with. I was about to ask you, do you think that, that it's this gone, day, dude, it's done. Yeah. Do you it's think it's, an, it, it's not coming back? There's no way to bring it back just because there, of there is uh, here's a message to all the talent out there. Be brave enough to fail. Go out there with an open mind and open ears and entertain your audience. And I think that's a way to bring that sort of performance back. But it's here's the, the drawback. It's not going to be as surgical. It's right. not going to be as precise. It's not going to be as intricate. And the audience has shown that they enjoy that stuff. So once again, I'm speaking as a dinosaur, but I do have perception of the current landscape. The social media keeps us in a short attention span. We want the best. We want it now. We don't want anything to be off one step. Like we want it to look perfect. So I understand that the demand for that product is out there. But, you know, if you have the other skill in your back pocket, it wouldn't hurt. And they're like Roman, I, I believe, is, is completely capable of doing something like that. Seth Rollins, I believe, is completely capable of doing something like that. And I've wrestled with a lot of the guys today by that method. So I know they can do it. Right. I just don't know if they can do it, you know, and do it on a, on a like, I'm not talking about like a, a, a live event only on a Saturday night. I'm talking about Monday Night Raw, pay-per-view, like it doesn't matter. This, the same the same philosophy. Do you think working that style and, and having the, the in-house ability to, to engage with the crowd, do you think that would translate more through the TV and sort of help in the overall scene? So my thing is this. One of my favorite matches all time is Hogan Rock. Mm -hmm. They're just looking at each other. Staring at each other. And but it's mayhem. It's awesome. Like yeah. your heart's pumping and you don't know what you're going to do and you're shaking the guy next to you. You don't understand how awesome this is. Right. And the guy next to you is going, no, I don't. Because it's just two dudes looking at each other and the two dudes <laughs> looking around. But what makes it magic is the noise and the, like, the audience. People don't, and I don't think performers understand this enough, and maybe I say that too much. i got to stop saying that. So the audience makes the excitement. And if I'm any sporting event, if I'm clicking through and I see a football game, 
and it's just a football game or whatever, but they cut to the crowd and it's bananas. Oh, what, what happened? Or a basketball game or a baseball game. When you get a crowd of people on their feet, think of when you're strolling down the street. If there's a crowd of people, maybe even just 30 people, and they're all making noise, you don't just walk by and not address. You look to see what's going on. Sure. I can't believe what's going on there. So if the audience is going nuts, whatever you're doing in the ring, if you're just looking at each other, is being a good wrestler, is being a good sports entertainer, because you've told them a story that they're interested in and they're giving you so much of their emotions that they're crazy, like they're full of it. They're, they feel, and when they feel every small thing you do, every nuance is like, is powerful. And that's the transfer to film. Film is even more so because it's way up. So like even the smallest nuances can be so powerful. But the difference between film and live performance is you bet on, I don't have the energy. I'm just right. betting that this works and taking a few people's words for it. Where out there is a guarantee. You know. Because I, I know anticipatory silence. I know apathetic silence. I know the sound of people walking up the concourse to get a hot dog. I know sounds that I'm not good. I know sounds that I'm good. I know sounds that I messed up. I know sounds that they like the effort. Like we all know these sounds. Yet some performers work for the sound rather than being there, listening to the sound and adapting to the environment. And I think when you empower the audience, our biggest star of the actual product, when you empower them, they'll put you on the wave and then you just kind of got to rein them into the confines of the story. You can't go out there and like turn yourself heel or change your finish or any of that stuff. You still have to keep the, the guidelines of what you've been given. But dude, I've, I've had fights happen in the audience where we stopped and looked at the fight <laughs> and woven it into the storyline. I had some dude marry a girl in the audience and we stopped. It was on TV in uh, either Birmingham or London. We stopped. We stopped down. I addressed the marriage and then turned around and got clocked. And the heel <laughs> took the heat for clocking me out of them. And just was just, okay, everybody, they're not looking at us. Don't do anything. Look at what's going on. The beach ball deal. Oh, yeah. Love when stuff like that yeah. happens. And I know it's not good for television, but I think it is because you involve the audience. So like, Cesaro, go get the damn ball. I can't get it. It's in the fifth row. I don't care. Go get it. So like uh, just moments like that where you stop, you get out of your little self-absorbed bubble and you look at the massive energy going around. Like what are they really entertained by? They're entertained by a ball and not by me. They're all entertained by the ball. We got to do something with the ball. We got we to. Or like they're all doing the wave. Hey, guys, I know this sounds stupid. I'm going to do the wave. I'm going to orchestrate the wave. I'm going to see if I can. And if they, if they boo me, hit me. If they cheer me, hit me. Either way, it's going to be good. <laughs> but just acknowledging the fact that they're giving you something. And I think a lot of the guys and gals get nervous. What happens is you get nervous and you're like, sure. what I'm doing isn't good enough. I'm just going to do something faster. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And what a way for them to just be like, forget it. I just gave you my energy and you just threw it away. You know, there's so like, that's what I love about the audience. They let you know. They let you know if they're bored. They let you know if you're doing great. They let you know if you're bad, if you're good. Like, it's the best. It's the best. All you got to do is just be there and listen. That's profound in its simplicity, but it's crazy. And that's, and that's why you can't get anybody to try it, because it's stupidly simple. I'm not a good wrestler. Everybody knows this. As far as technical ability, unorthodox is a label that I like to keep sacred, because it still makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I'm one of those guys who's brave enough to just be foolishly simple and start at the most simple story 
And then like when everybody talks about like, man, remember the, this match you had with whomever or this match you had whenever, it's usually like the end of a huge buildup, which we started super simple, or it's like the third match in a buildup, which we've been able to start super simple and then go into the finale, like the blow off of like, this is it. And you do all the cool stuff. And that's why people remember it. But they remember, they don't, they subconsciously remember, but they, they don't remember the simple start. Right. You always just remember the, the end of basically every story. Yes. Yes. Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I could, I love wrestling psychology. I believe the term is beat to death, but it, it is a real thing. I love crowd psychology. I love entertainment psychology. Like I'm so deep in the rabbit hole. Right. That um, I've also realized that when I talk to people at like NXT or even in WWE, I can't talk like this because it's so far from what they're used to, it doesn't connect. Like I've missed on a lot of times where I've tried to bestow like, these are the secrets, kid, and I'll start talking quantum mechanics and the double slit experiment. And they're like, what? There's really two stare. universes out there? I don't even know. So it, um, I also understand that like, because it's whittled down to only maybe one or two performers able to do this skill that no one really knows it. And you have to start from the basics of empowering and encouraging these people to fail in what they feel is a safe environment. Even if that's promo class, even if that's a practice match at NXT, like fail and then see if you're still alive, see if you still have a job and then look around and be like, was that really that bad? Maybe fail again, maybe fail at a live event or maybe be brave enough to do that at a live event and then take it to a television broadcast and then take it to a pay-per-view because there is no better feeling than doing well out there. The only thing better than that is doing well out there when you don't have to think about what's next because you own, like you live the You're well. Just in the you moment. live every emotion with the fans. When they're going, oh, inside you're doing the same thing. You're not like double duck, two things, give me this. No, you're just like, all right, I feel that. Do we do it now? No, now. No, wait, don't do anything. And like you just ride it with them. And it's, uh, I wish everyone in the seats could jump in my brain in the ring for like five minutes. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome. And they make it awesome. Like they make it awesome. I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. I don't know what the crowd response is going to be. I don't know how to perceive any of this stuff. I don't know what story I'm going to tell. I'm going to find that out in a little bit. It's, I don't know. We still got time, <laughs> but, uh, that's what makes it great. And I, even though I've been away from it a long time, like even on the way in today, I had to talk myself into like, don't get locked in. Go out there and just be in it, man. And just be in it. Don't overthink it. Be you. And that's the same advice The Rock gave me when I was like, hey, I got this film audition. What do I do? Be you. They asked you there for a reason. Just be yourself. Looking at the landscape this day and age between Raw, SmackDown, NXT, does anybody in particular catch your eye? Anyone no, that you a, a lot of folks do. I just, um, I also understand that I look at this I look at sports entertainment different than everyone else. So a lot, I think a lot of people, and that's why when I say like, oh, there's no one person at the front, that's also not bad. Mm -hmm. I think the business can, it's, it's reaching farther than ever. It continues to reach farther than ever. So although I'm comfortable in the environment I just explained, mm -hmm. maybe we've gone into a different thing and I just am romanticizing about those moments that I enjoy. Uh, I think we're fine with, a segmented group of performers 
Roman, Seth, uh, Roman Braun, Sheamus, New Day, like in the SmackDown roster, the Raw roster, the NXT roster, you don't have one person you go to see. If you go to an NXT show, you go to see eight or nine people. Right. You go to a Raw, you go to see eight or nine people. You go to a SmackDown, you go to see eight or nine people. So um, I, there's tr I don't think there's ever been more potential under one roof than right now. I think I could say there's been, I think the Attitude Era was the era of universal popularity, where the opening match had a definable storyline of like Val Venus and Funaki's team trying to cut off his penis and all that stuff right, right. <laughs> into like the main event uh, with, with Austin and everyone in between had some sort of narrative. Now we have a few loosely crafted narratives and some big storylines and a lot of matches for the sake of action. But I also believe that's on the performers to make something out of that. I think the best scenario, and take it from a guy who's done pretty well for himself off of this scenario, when they tell you, I don't know what we want tonight, like that's when the rap guy was born, that's when things like the US Challenge were born, like when they don't know what they want, they're giving you the freedom to create something. And when they strictly tell you what they want, you still have freedom, but it's confined in the parallels that they've given you. But when they're like, you guys got 15 and I'm, I don't know. Like make that's, it work. oh my God, it's the best because you can now walk into imagination land and do whatever you want. But once again, it takes being brave and doing stupid things and hoping they get over and maybe they will and maybe you can wear wristbands when you're 43 and actually have it seem <laughs> comfortable. So that's, I don't know. It's just, um, like I said, I just have a different perception than everybody else, but I, I do think there has never been more athletic talent under one roof than right here right now but i think i think history would show i mean if you look back to the days even with dusty and rick flair the, the emotion is what translates to everybody as opposed to the athleticism do you think it's possible to get back there we're all human man to say to say there's a locker room of emotionless people there is ignorant all of us feel pain all of us feel love all of us feel happiness anger uh shame guilt you you name it the whole gambit we all know it's just a matter of getting people to be brave enough to embrace that stuff. Here's the thing, if we can get even just one or two, because everyone is so athletically gifted, it's like takes it to another level. Right. So I'm optimistic in thinking that hopefully they will listen to this podcast and maybe be inspired. Uh, but if not, I just have a feeling that someone will, some one or two people will achieve that self-awareness combined with athletic ability I'll never have in my entire life and a locker room full of it. And then it's like an, another resurgence, another great period of growth, another golden era. It's just, uh, just takes the right set of circumstances. Keep in mind, I was about to be fired before I actually <laughs> knew what was going on. I failed tremendously the first opportunity I was given. So it's not like you got to hit it out of the park immediately. I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then it took for me to be told, like, you're probably not going to be doing this anymore, to be like, okay, I don't care anymore. I'm going for it. Had I never been told that, I would have probably squandered in low-level mediocrity for as long as I'd have been around, <laughs> which wouldn't have been alone. So <laughs> I, I think desperation also breeds creativity. And I wasn't kidding. Back in, back in my day, there were literally uh, cuts twice a year. They fired people in November and they fired people in May mm -hmm. because we had just taken on a lot of talent with ECW and WCW and they just had to sift through it all. They still had a developmental class too. So like there were 
seasonal releases and justified. We just had too many guys. Right. Not so much nowadays. So there's maybe, and I don't know, I don't run, I don't know the business. We all armchair quarterbacks, the easiest spot in the, in the field. Sure. But, uh, I know, I do know that desperation breeds creativity. So maybe if, if there was, I know also when, when I was past those cuts and actually had some success, we really championed for SmackDown to be better than raw. And it was like a thing that the brand took pride in. And I developed such a camaraderie and a friendship with the workers on SmackDown. I remember we had an idle Monday and it was the Monday I was drafted in St. Louis and they were all playing mini golf. I'm like, I can't make it today. I'm going to work out. I'm in St. Louis getting drafted to raw. And when I came out, everyone was watching my phone blew up Trader, Benedict Arnold, (laughs) you, you name it. Everybody was so pissed because we, we genuinely had put our heart and soul into making the brand better than raw. And we took pride in that. And that was our desperation of like, we are the second tier show. No, not anymore. And we're going to change it. And in doing so, it elevated all of us. So once again, desperation spawned creativity, the birth of uh, Edge as a single superstar, you know, stuff like that. Like it's just, um, so I don't, I don't know today how much desperation is out there. I think there's, there's desperation to want to be in a main event spot. Like, I'm being overlooked. I'm not getting pushed. They're doing nothing with me. So what are you doing? Like, what are you doing to push your vehicle forward? Have you exhausted all options? If you have, then I'm willing to listen. If you haven't, go to work. I haven't heard it explained that well in, uh, in quite some time. And, and by the way, <laughs> that's not the way it is. That's right. just my view it's, from... It's but it, it from a sense. crazy bunker, 40 floors beneath the earth's surface <laughs> in an undisclosed location. <laughs> well, did, like, did you think any of this was going to be like this? I, I'm stoked beyond belief that it was like this. I wasn't oh, sure cool, what it man. was going to be. Cool. I, I Honestly, I, I love nothing more than talking about the business with people who love the business. And, Me too. And doing it face-to-face is even cooler. So I, like I said, my, my uh, producer had some notes and was like, hey, maybe we talk about this. And I said, we're just going to talk. Like wherever cool. it goes, we go. I'm very happy with it. I'm going to ask you one last favor. I usually try to end the show with a uh, Zen quote of some sort, and you have appeared to become the Zen master based strictly on your Twitter. Have you got any uh, any wisdom or quotes to drop on us? Man, that's uh, yikes. So I just puked out my soul, and now I'm trying to sum it up in one sentence. <laughs> Here's an easy one. Never give up. Perfect. I'll take it. John, I appreciate the time. Honestly, let's uh, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's vodka. <laughs> I, I made that joke when we walked in. I was like, please tell me that's just pure, straight vodka. There we go. Uh, let's go out and do this thing. Make sure you follow at After the Bell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Send us any thoughts you may have using the hashtag After the Bell. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you haven't left me a review yet, please shoot me five stars. It really helps get the word out, I swear. If you're using an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts so that you never, ever miss an episode. And you can follow me at WWE Graves on Twitter, on Instagram, and I swear I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. 
Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.